0: A R M O I R E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. What you're about to hear is a special preview of our new premium, private, and ad free podcast, More Personal. It's typically only available for the highest two levels of supporters of About Progress. You can check out all the benefits supporters get and sign up at aboutprogress.com support. Welcome to More Personal, where we lean into the personal side of personal development. I'm Monica Packer, and today's feature is the Deep Dive. In the Deep Dive, we take on a deep but brief breakdown of a hot personal development topic history or persona. Now, while this episode isn't meant to be a complete synopsis of what I'll share today, it will definitely get you thinking and likely talking about what you're thinking. Let's start by setting the scene of our topic today. I deserve good. I am entitled to my share of happiness. I refuse to beat myself up. I am an attractive person. I am fun to be with. Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. Stuart Smalley is a caring nurturer, a member of several 12-step programs, but not a licensed therapist. I'm going to do a terrific show today, and I'm going to help people because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Hello, I'm Stuart Smalley. You may only need to hear a moment of the scene and, like me, easily picture the reflection of a blonde, floppy-haired man looking at himself in the mirror. It's Stuart Smalley, sitting in his comfy chair, wearing an ornately crocheted sweater, repeating affirmations to himself. And it always ends with, I'm good enough, I'm strong enough, and doggone it, people like me. This often repeated bit by Al Franken on SNL in the 90s is of a talk show host who, while not a licensed therapist, helps people work through their negative thoughts by replacing them with positive ones, and Stuart is his own biggest client. I loved going down the wormhole and watching many of these segments that are on YouTube, but I found myself blushing when Stuart kept saying a phrase that made the audience burst into laughter each time, because it's a phrase that I say often on my own show. And that's okay. I really love that lady's squill at the end. Well, this is helping me introduce today's deep dive topic, and it's positive thinking. In other words, positive thinking is how our unspoken thoughts, also known as self-talk, shift our relationship with reality in ways that move past the common question, is the glass half full or half empty? You may think since SNL poked fun at an affirmation slinging coach figure in the 90s that this is a relatively new approach. But in reality, positive thinking has its roots firmly settled in the distant past. This deep dive will help you see how positive thinking swept the earth with its motivational methods, but along the way, got twisted into shame-driven toxic positivity. Oh, and the butt of a lot of jokes. Either way, thanks to positive thinking, the world will never be the same. Part 1. Origin Story Let's begin with the origin story behind positive thinking. What are its roots? Who are the main players? And how did it begin to catch on and so quickly? To flesh out the roots of positive thinking, we need to leave our century and jump back over the 20th century and land firmly in the mid-19th century America. America which is arguably the most modern country with its own long-standing history of positive thinking. While I have no doubt there were Greek philosophers waxing poetical about the power of managing your thoughts, scholars first see positive thinking as an official movement pop up in the 1850s alongside the American Transcendentalist movement. This was a social and artistic movement, where people pushed back on the standard of expectations that society and religion brought to them. This movement espoused that each person is capable of transcending their position, including the departure of traditional religion, and instead finding more of the divine inside of them. That sounds really familiar, right? Think of these household names that emerged thanks to transcendentalism. Henry David Thoreau, and Walden's Pond, the poet Walt Whitman, and the essayist Ralph Waldo Emerson, and so many more. Also emerging during this era was the new thought philosophy. Here's a quote that describes this so well. Quote, new thought holds that infinite intelligence or God is everywhere. Spirit is a totality of real things. True human selfhood is divine. Divine thought is a force for good. Sickness originates in the mind, and right thinking has a healing effect, unquote. Phineas P. Quimby was the first proponent of new thought, and it looked like he practiced an early form of hypnosis to help with his work in especially healing the body by controlling the mind. At the time, a popular and still very relevant psychology professor and philosopher by the name of William James, who's the brother to poet Henry James, wrote about how new thought translated into maxims that people would repeat to themselves while getting dressed in the morning. I see this as the beginning of positive affirmations. So Stuart Smalley before Stuart Smalley. From new thought, positive thinking became its most popular idea, the idea that Our thoughts control our reality, and that in particular spread abroad and quickly. Part of that included Australia, where a popular monthly magazine taught the powers of breath work, exercise for muscles, and they even included tear outs with the affirmation of the month, like, I am fearless. I am not making it up. That was one of the affirmations. We also see the roots here of where positive thinking went bad, as they often preached a clear connection with how your negative thoughts are creating diseases in your body. Near the turn of the century, thanks to the pamphlets and preachings of Walter Binks and later Napoleon Hill, I'll come back to him, and his book, Think and Grow Rich, positive thinking spread to the business sector, especially with a growing field of the first- Modern entrepreneurs, salesmen. Perhaps much like those who can't do teach, this became a matter of those who can't sell, sell on helping people sell. These early movers and shakers with a positive thinking movement were prior people who were trying to sell and make money and grow their business, and they weren't doing too well, but they did once they started to help other salesmen sell better via positive thinking. When I look through Walter Binks' teachings, I see a real leaning into that positive affirmations that we're familiar with today. Today, it might sound like, today's your day, and if it can be thought, it can be done. But for Binks, his affirmations looked like, quote, you are the person concerned in making a really great success in every way of your life, unquote. Another one, quote, dare to be yourself, unquote. And then I just had to read this little quote, but it's a whole quote from one of his pamphlets. He said, quote, take the attitude of cheeriness, always looking on the bright side rather than the blue. Determined to hold yourself in an optimistic, never down in the mouth, but courage always up attitude of mind and heart through faith in the infinite source of life and power, which is back of all, unquote. You can see a thread there that most of the men, and they were largely men who espoused the power of positive thinking, were also former preachers and pastors, or at least aspiring ones, who mingled spirituality and religion with feel-good maxims that had their converts, and I'm speaking both literal and figurative, singing their praises, and also padding their bank accounts. I find Napoleon Hill to be a whole other level of fascinating Hill influenced not just normal folks and salesmen, but he claimed the ear of many prestigious figures like Andrew Carnegie, President Woodrow Wilson, and President Franklin D. Roosevelt. But once you dissect his claims of his influence on these amazing people, it seems like someone was a little overly positive about his own power. He claimed to originate FDR's famous saying, quote, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, unquote. He also claimed to solve World War I, directing Woodrow Wilson behind the scenes where no one could see him. But Napoleon Hill is never mentioned in any meeting notes or historical documents of either of these presidents. In fact, before he was quote unquote influencing presidents, Hill was, well, an outright con man. He wrote a lot of fake checks, he cheated people on automobile parts, and Oh, he even acted as a producer for the first ever Mormon film called Corianton, a story of unholy love. It was a flop. So, how did Napoleon Hill con his way into the ears of millions? It came through his little book that could, called Think and Grow Rich, released in 1937. This book made Napoleon Hill very rich, and that was despite history showing it was largely written by his then wife, Rosa. In this book, he teaches how fear leads to failure and belief in oneself leads to riches. Quote Anything the human mind can believe, the human mind can achieve. That is the supreme secret this is the secret known in bygone times. This is the secret which governs present-day accomplishment. This is the secret which will follow man to the stars. This is the secret of the ages, unquote. I mean, that sounds so good, right? While these types of teachings were very popular, mostly because of their motivating and somewhat patronizing and shame-driven influence, positive thinking takes a massive turn into worldwide influence even more, and many would say for not, in the mid-20th century with another bestseller book. One of the first real self-help books, in fact, that swept the earth called The Power of Positive Thinking. Part 2 growth story. How did positive thinking grow? In what ways was it jeopardized and even damaging? And how does it matter to this day? To share the growth story, I need to tell you about a person with a lot of confidence and little experience to back it. A man named Norman Vincent Peale. Never heard of him? By the end of this episode, you'll have at least heard of the people he's influenced, people whose names you definitely know right now. Peel started as a Protestant clergyman uh, who, following the 1929 market crash, connected with a psychiatrist. Enthused by the help he received, he saw an opportunity to blend religion with psychology tools. So Peel partnered with his psychiatrist, and they wrote a few books together that actually weren't that popular. But then in 1952, Norman Peale released a book that changed his life and many, many others, The Power of Positive Thinking. The key appeal of the book was also its key message. Quote, all of us have the power to rise above obstacles and hardships. We just need to believe in ourselves and have faith in the power of positive thinking. Unquote. This book is full of anecdotes, including biblical studies and real life, in quotes, people that are mostly businessmen and salesmen, who have used Peel's affirmations and avoid a lot of negativity in order to change their work, their families, and their health. This book sold over 5 million copies and was on the New York Times bestseller list for over three and a half years, but its popularity was not enthusiastically shared. Remember that psychiatrist that Peel co-authored several books with? that same man refused to endorse this bestseller. Why? Because he and many, many others from the mental health community found it damaging to mental health. Critics of the power of positive thinking abound, and they find Peel's stories in his book unverified and his tools alarmingly similar to hypnosis techniques that should only be done by trained practitioners but he even claimed these tools as his own. Critics also decried how pills, insistent on mind over matter often translated to blaming the victim. Because it clearly must be their fault if they can't overcome their anxiety, depression, and even physical health issues by simply believing they could. Then-psychiatrist R.C. Murphy called the power of positive thinking, quote, deceptively simplistic and false, unquote. One of the most renowned psychologists at the time and founder of the cognitive psychology branch, Albert Ellis, did not hold back. Are you ready for his takedown? Quote, with saccharine terrorism, Mr. Peel refuses to allow his followers to hear, speak, or see any evil. For him, real human suffering does not exist. There is no such thing as murderous rage, suicidal despair, cruelty, lust, greed, mass poverty, or illiteracy. All these things he would dismiss as trivial mental processes, which will evaporate if thoughts are simply turned into more cheerful channels. This attitude is so unpleasant, it bears some search for its real meaning. Between races, for instance, this belief leads to prejudice. In child-rearing, it drives parents into trying to obliterate rather than trying to nurture one or another area of the child's emerging personality. In international relationships, it leads to war. Mr. Peel's book is not only inadequate for our needs, but even undertakes to drown out the fragile inner voice, which is the spur to inner growth, unquote. When I read that, I was like, snap. Another critic, A. Powell Davies, a pastor of All Souls Unitarian Church in Washington, D.C., he added his own view, quote, the book, has a sort of drug effect on people to be told they need not worry. They keep coming back for more. It keeps their minds on a superficial level and encourages emotional dependency. It is an escape from reality. People under stress do one of two things. Seek shelter or respond to harsh reality by a deeper recognition of what they are up against. The people who flock to the peace of mind preachers are seeking shelter. They don't want to face reality, unquote. Now, that was simply a sampling of what people said about this book. Despite his critics, though, Norman Peale remained very influential the rest of his life, largely because of how he helped people feel more of that peace of mind. He was a preacher at his church, Marble Collegiate Church, until his retirement, and had the ears of many influential people, including Presidents Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan. But before we conclude today, you'll hear this is not the only president he influenced with his positive thinking ways. This is where you may be thinking that I think positive thinking is a hoax, that we can brush it together with all of the law of attraction, manifestation, the secret folks, and maybe all the wellness influencers, gurus and coaching, and we can just keep going at our own pessimistic ways. But that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, Shifting our thoughts and focusing on flourishing more as human beings is not only possible, it's science-backed. The Mayo Clinic reports these health benefits to positive thinking. Increased lifespan, lower rates of depression, lower levels of distress and pain, greater resistance to illnesses, better psychological and physical well-being, better cardiovascular health and reduced risk of death from cardiovascular disease and stroke, reduced risk of death from cancer, reduced risk of death from respiratory conditions, reduced risk of death from infections and better coping skills during hardships and times of stress. You can't deny that. Positive thinking is effective. You see this in cognitive psychology. Have you ever heard of CBT or even life coaching, which its model is based in cognitive psychology? Then you are seeing the power of positive thinking in action. The difference is that it must be done in ways that are both empowering and truthful. It's not the power of lying to, dismissing or shaming yourself after all, at least when it's done right, it's the power of positive thinking. And you see the positives of positive thinking emerge as part of a new branch of psychology that came about in the late 90s called positive psychology. Headed by Martin Segelman and Mahali Csikszentmihalyi, And yes, I did have to look up how to pronounce that name. They are both very credible, trained, and lauded by their field. These men were long frustrated by how psychology's obsession with mental illness was not doing anyone any favors. And they wanted to know more about mental flourishing. What does it look like to live a good life? Well, Segelman and chick sent me wanted to answer that with real research to back them how was positive psychology different from peel's version of positive thinking segelman says it best he says quote, "positive thinking is an armchair activity" Positive psychology, on the other hand, is tied to a program of empirical and replicable scientific activity. Positive thinking often involves trying to believe upbeat statements such as, every day in every way I am getting better and better, in the absence of evidence, or even in the face of contrary evidence. Learned optimism, in contrast, is about accuracy, unquote. And that's what positive psychology tries to help people learn how to do better. Positive psychology takes the roots of what was helpful about positive thinking, but grounds it in facts, research, and practices that are backed by that research that help people live the lives they want to lead. No self-shaming and blaming required. Why does positive thinking matter today? Positive thinking is the foundation to most self-help you see in the world, Influencing the influencers you know about from the old school Stephen Covey to new age Rachel Hollis. Well-known figures like Oprah, Michael Phelps, Jay Shetty, and more espouse the power of affirmations in helping them shape their lives and create their success. And there's another president who was directly shaped by Norman Peale himself, Donald J. Trump. Trump was a frequent congregationalist of Peel's Marble Collegiate Church with his father, Fred, and his mother, Mary. Two of his sisters were married there and Trump has praised Peel publicly as a formative influence in his life. Positive thinking's teachers and their translated practices have ranged from life-changing to life-harming. It can be hard to disentangle what's good and what's bad. While I'm not here to tell you what to think, I'll at least end with what I'm thinking. My personal thoughts. I believe in the power of our thoughts. My life was changed by CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, back in my eating disorder recovery days. Learning how my thoughts create my feelings, which create my actions, helped me become the victor of the fight for my life. Better managing my thoughts over time has improved my marriage, my faith. My parenting, my self esteem, and even my work. As a coach, I use science backed tools to help my clients better manage the way their thoughts are shaping their reality, including the use of affirmations and maxims where needed and appropriate, but always, always still grounded in truth. But I often see positive thinking being taken too far, where the black and white belief in and practice of it can be twisted to dismiss reality, to shame our valid emotions, and to deny help outside of ourselves. Also, and this can't be understated, I think it does more harm than good to say our thoughts are responsible for the bad, all the bad in our lives, including our mental health and our physical health. Because sometimes life is simply unfair and hard, and people don't deserve the hand they've been dealt humans thrive in certainty, but I think we must be wise and nuanced. We can harness the true importance of both watching and crafting what we think without mistaking our thoughts as being 100% responsible for our reality. That, to me, goes beyond positive thinking. It's wise thinking. So ultimately, I say try out some research-backed positive thinking practices. If it helps you, it helps you. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And that's okay. Okay. That's it for our first official deep dive. For those extra curious, you can see in the show notes all the links to the many articles that I referenced while researching this deep dive. I'd love to hear your own takeaways and personal thoughts on positive thinking. As supporters, you get access to our private online community, the Supporters Hub. It's like Facebook without the Facebook. And there you can chime in and tell me your own experience with positive thinking, how it's helped, or even how it's harmed. I want to hear it all. I'm already at work on our next deep dive, and I'm taking on a persona this time. You might have heard of her, Rachel Hollis. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for being a supporter and making this work possible. I'll see you soon. If you liked what you heard today, then you'll love More Personal, our new premium podcast that is both private and ad-free for the highest two levels of supporters of About Progress. As a special treat, all January, we are airing more personal episodes to the greater public. But come February, they'll be back to being exclusive. You can explore the three levels of support, their special benefits, and sign up as a supporter at aboutprogress.com support. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends.